Good morning and Happy New Year. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. I hope that the Lord has brought blessings to you during this holiday season, and I pray that you would experience God's abundant grace in the coming year. I'm grateful to be here this morning in more ways than one. Uh, I'm thankful uh, to be able to stand before you feeling uh, much better than I was over Christmas, uh, not being able to be here on Christmas Day. I regret not being able to worship with you all that were here uh, last Sunday. And I was thinking back to even this time last year where I was called upon to preach on the first Sunday of the year, um, as many associate pastors are, because it's a, it's a week that the senior pastors usually take off, you know, after that tiring year of serving the Lord, they usually say, all right, now you're up. And I was, I was scheduled to preach last January, I believe it was the second, and I had COVID, and I got call, I had to call on Pastor Greg like within like days and say I can't be there Sunday, and so I know he is grateful that I'm feeling better, and I did not have to call on him at the last minute and say, "Which can you whip something together real quick because I can't be there." So I am thankful to be able to stand before you this morning it is, uh, with humility, with uh, fear and trepidation that I stand into the pulpit to bring. God's word to you today. Pastor will be bringing us back to our study of uh, Matthew's gospel next week um, as we resume our uh, study there. So today's message is kind of a one-off message, so to speak, as I was given the freedom to preach from whatever passage that I might uh, felt led to bring to you today. So in keeping with the theme of the new year, I was thinking about what kind of charge that I could bring to us from the scriptures as a way to begin 2023. Well, just a few weeks ago, we had, as we had our end of the year um, church family business meeting, we elected new officers to serve on different boards uh, of the church, including welcoming three new elders to our elder board. So I thought this might be a good opportunity to preach a message with the charge of caring for God's church. And you can see that as the title of your, of your message as you follow along in your handout and as you're taking notes this morning. Uh, you can take notes in your bulletin. You can take notes in the app. Uh, there's fill-in-the-blanks options there that you can do. And so then those that may be following along at home, you can, if you have the app, you can take notes there as well. So as we look at caring for God's church. Now, when I talk about that, that does not mean that I am only preaching to our elder board or to these three new elders that we have. It doesn't mean that I'm just preaching to the leadership of the church. Yes, there's going to be application to uh, the leadership of the church, um, but there's going to be application for all who call the Evangelical Free Church of Oroville their home church. There will be charges to those who lead to keep, in prayer, to keep a prayerful and watchful eye over God's people. There will be charges to the church to pray for your leaders, to hold your leaders accountable, and how all of us, as the church, should be caring for one another. So our passage for today comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 17 through 38. If you want to turn uh, in your copy of God's Word to that passage, that's where we will find ourselves. And this passage contains the farewell speech of the Apostle Paul to the elders at the church of Ephesus. And this text is also the subject of a book that the elders have been reading this past year and will continue to do so in the coming year because we didn't finish. And so we'll be continuing to read uh, this book and it's just titled Acts 
20. And it's a, it's a charge to elders in the church, and that's why we've been reading it. And I'm going to reference this book from time to time as we uh, go throughout the, the message today. And so that's partly why these verses have been on my heart recently. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus teaching and preaching the gospel. Now it was time for him to move on to his next destination. But before he left, he wanted to speak to the elders of the church and give them some final words of encouragement and exhortation. So in this passage, we are going to see the heart of Paul as a servant of Christ as he shares his own struggles and challenges and exhorts the elders to be faithful in the work of ministry. We're going to see his deep love for the church and his desire to see it grow and flourish. And as we read this passage, our church leaders will be challenged to consider their own role as leaders in the church, to ask ourselves if we are living if we are truly living out our calling as servants of Christ. We're going to be encouraged to follow the example of Paul, to be faithful in our own ministry, no matter what challenges we may face. Now Paul's going to begin by reminding the elders of his own ministry among them, recounting how he served the Lord with all humility and tears, and how he had not hesitated to declare to them the full and whole counsel of God. Paul's ministry was marked with, un, with an unwavering commitment to spreading the gospel, even in the face of persecution and hardship. But Paul is not just looking back on his own ministry. He is also looking ahead, and he knows that difficult days lie in wait for the Ephesian believers. He warns them of the dangers that will come their way, including false teachers who will try to lead them astray. So Paul exhorts the elders to be on guard, to watch over their flocks, and to protect them from the wolves that will try to attack. But Paul's words are not just a warning, but they are a call to action. He tells the elders to be diligent in their work, to shepherd the flock of God, and to be an example to the believers under their care. And Paul knows that the best way to protect the church is to equip the believers to stand firm in their faith and to be faithful to God's word. So as we consider this passage, we too are called to be diligent in our faith and in our service to the Lord. We're called to be on guard against false teaching, to protect one another from those who would try to lead us astray. We are also called to be examples to others, showing them by our lives the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. So let us take to heart Paul's words to the elders in Ephesus. Let us be diligent in our faith, standing firm in the truth of God's word and being examples to those around us. So let's look at our text now. Acts chapter 20. It'll be on the screen, and I'm going to invite you to stand in, in honor of God's word this morning. Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to read a portion of it to begin. I'm not going to read through the whole from 17 to 38. We're going to begin by reading verses 17 through 21. And the Holy Word of God says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his eternal and errant and holy word, and may the Holy Spirit write its truth on our hearts. You may be seated. 
So this, question, or this, this passage begs the question, how important is leadership? Now for some, it is considered a priceless commodity. It's why many will pay thousands of dollars to attend a seminar to be trained on how to be a better leader. Businesses of all kinds look for leaders with strong qualities that will increase their stock and profits, that will motivate those whom they lead and who can affect positive change in their company. As I was studying, I read this past week, poor leadership destroys institutions, good leadership makes them. This is axiomatically true. We can, we, that's, we can see that across any form of business, corporation, any place where leadership is in place. God also put a premium on leadership. We have both good and bad examples of leadership all throughout Scripture. We could talk about great Old Testament leaders such as Moses or Samuel or David, many others. And we see that God has always ministered his kingdom through key leaders. But also in the Old Testament, because of the importance of leadership, God takes a very strong view of inadequate or ineffective leadership. We can read in Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, where God is not only commenting on the sins of Israel, but on the sins of Israel's leaders. And he says this, like people, like priests. In other words, God says, I can't expect anything out of the people that I'm not getting out of its leaders. Whatever the leaders are, the people will be like people, like priests. In the New Testament, Jesus makes a comment about leadership in Matthew 15, verse 14. It says, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. People will follow their leaders. And God set a standard for leadership. And it's one that Paul took seriously. He writes about the leadership of the church in several places where he lists the qualifications of elders. He does so in letters to Timothy and to Titus. And here in Acts 20, Paul shares his thoughts on leadership. And he does so by first, in our first point, seeing that he gives a good example to follow. So we'll be following this good example that Paul set. Paul here is concluding his third missionary journey on his way back to Jerusalem. From the moment Paul's life was converted, he had been on mission. Proclaiming the gospel of Christ to any and all who would listen at the expense of his own safety and security many times. And he spent many months and years traveling, planting churches in different regions. His ship has stopped in Miletus. And even though Paul was eager to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, his heart was burdened that he should give one last bit of exhortation to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Paul understood the vast importance of the ministry of the local church. I'm sorry, there's not a good Christian that cannot read the New Testament that cannot see the importance of being a part of a local church. It is all throughout that Paul understood that he, that is why he established leaders to lead well the local church. Yes, we as Christians are part of the church universal, 
And we are to be faithful members of that, but we are also to be faithful members, attenders, participants in a local church. And Paul knew that, and it was a burden on his heart, and that is why he called these elders back to him and said, I have one last piece of exhortation to give you before I return. It's why he spent years training men to lead these new churches that he helped start. He wants to make sure that he gives them every bit of teaching he can, knowing that he bears the burden of responsibility and accountability for how these churches and its leaders commit themselves to the kingdom of God. And we all know that good leaders lead by example. They don't just bark out orders and expect people to get things done that they themselves have never done. They show them how to do it, getting their hands dirty. They're out in front, leading the way for others to follow. And that's precisely why Paul starts in verse 18 saying, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul didn't try to start this church by sending out some instructions how to build a church, writing a book, and just say, follow these, this template, and you can build your church. No, he went and he lived among the people, getting his hands dirty, working elbow to elbow with these people. He lived with them and he showed them. And now he's giving these Ephesian elders and church leaders today an example to follow in himself. And we're going to see several characteristics that church leaders should have. And again, while this, while this does address leaders specifically, there is application for the whole church. For those who would aspire to be leaders, look to Paul's example. For those who attend and are members of a local church, you should hold your leaders accountable to the example that Paul left. Hold your leaders accountable. And you do that by getting to know your leaders. Get to know your elders and pastors. Not just what you see on Sunday, but who are they the rest of the week? Get to know them. The church is called to hold its shepherds accountable. And how are you going to do that? How are you supposed to do that if you do not know them? Now, yes, it is the job of the pastors and the elders to get to know the people of the church. And we should be doing our part to get to know you. But we can all be serving each other together. We're called to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. And how can we do that if we do not know each other? I mean, I would encourage you, you know, we, we have a, a large number of people here. We don't even have, we still, this is a small gathering for our church on Sunday morning. But look around this room. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this rhetorically. I'm saying look around the room. Take a look, this side, look over there on this side. You people over here, look over there. Raise your hand if you see someone whose first name you do not know. Raise it up high if you see someone whose first name, just first name. Almost everybody in here, I don't think there's anybody in here that can say, anybody in here say you can say you can name everybody's first name? Can anybody do that? Because if you raise your hand, I'm going to call on you. <laughs> I'm going to make you do it. I don't think I can name everybody's first name. I know we have some visitors here, and we probably have people that have attended more than once, and I probably don't know their first name, and for that is my fault. We should get to know each other. If you don't know your elders and pastors, come get to know them. Find out more about them. That way you can hold them accountable. And you cannot use the excuse, I'm an introvert. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm an introvert. Okay? Yes, I'm a pastor and I'm an introvert. 
God calls introverts to be pastors. And you know what? He gave, just like he gives any Christian, he gives them the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome such things. Okay, get to know people. We can get to know one another and serve one another. And as you get to know your church leaders, make sure that you keep them accountable to the example that Paul left us to follow. So let's look a little more closely at these characteristics that should be expected of those serving in church leadership. First of all, we should see in our leaders devotion. Devotion to Christ. Paul continues, if you go back to verse 18 and then go into verse 19, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first time I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord. Paul's first and utmost allegiance was to Christ. Everything he did, he did for the sake of Christ. The word that is translated here, serving, is the Greek word douluo, from the, from the root word doulos, which means servant or slave, to Our our translations have softened that. It literally means slave. This was a common theme throughout Paul's writings. He began his letter to the Romans by referring to himself as Paul, a bondservant or slave to Christ Jesus. He wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 10, If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or a slave of Christ. Again, using that same word, doulos. Paul saw himself as compelled to be obedient to Christ, to serve Christ, to be sold out for Christ. Not because he was forced to, but out of gratitude for the grace, the love, the kindness and mercy that he had been shown. We don't obey God simply because we're commanded to, but because we want to out of love for him. Paul's heart was wrought with allegiance to Christ and his expectation that anyone who is shepherding God's people ought to see himself in those same terms. In his second letter to Timothy, this pastoral letter to his apprentice and his disciple, Paul tells Timothy that he, there it says that the Lord's servant, again, doulos or slave, must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, and he goes on to list more of the qualifications of what a leadership possess. But above all, the shepherd of Christ's people must be a servant devoted to Christ. Secondly, a leader should follow Paul's example and serve Christ with all humility. Now it may seem to be a little bit hypocritical or at best ironic that Paul would draw attention to his humility. Because after all, isn't humility about not drawing attention to yourself? This wouldn't be the first time this sort of irony presents itself in Scripture. If you go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, in the New American Standard, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now, it might not seem ironic until you understand who wrote the book of Numbers. Moses. Okay, Moses wrote that about himself. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Like, well, Moses, do you really want to write that? You know, but that's what he was inspired by God to write. But Paul elsewhere, he seems to draw attention to himself. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he tells his readers to be imitators of me. But it's in the next part of that verse that we understand why Paul would have the gumption to say such a thing. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Again, pointing back to Christ. Paul rightly recognized his position before God. He was a sinner saved only by grace, owed nothing but punishment but shown forgiveness. Leaders should be clothed in humility, forsaking pride or desire to be known or praised. 
When we studied the Reformation and we looked at the five solas that marked the teaching of that movement, we see that the last of the five solas was soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Why do we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone? Because we know that there is nothing in ourselves that draws us to Christ. And when it comes to our salvation, our only boast is in what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. A humble leader points people to Jesus as He serves like Jesus. Jesus knelt down to wash His disciples' feet, showing us what kind of Savior He was, giving us an example of humble leadership. Leadership, according to Christ and according to Paul, is serving and is others-focused. Which leads us then to our next characteristic, that leaders show sympathy to others. Paul continues saying that he served the Lord with all humility and with tears. Paul spent three years with these people, so of course there would be hardships, difficulties, trials. There's always going to be those struggles in ministry because ministry is dealing with people. People of all people are sinful, are broken. All of us, people go through trying times and a godly leader is able to sympathize with those who are hurting. In, in the book that I referenced, the, uh, for, that we've been reading as elders, Alexander Strout says, when you love people and are attentive to their needs, you will also weep over their many heartaches, conflicts, and hardships they face. You will weep over broken marriages, untimely deaths, crippling sicknesses, and dreadful addictions to pornography, alcohol, or drugs. Like the weeping prophet Jeremiah, you too will weep over God's people, over people's you will weep over people's foolish idols and senseless rebellion against God's wise instruction. Paul told the Galatians to bear one another's burdens. And so we as Christians are to come alongside those who are hurting. And this is especially true for those in leadership. I've sat around the table at our elder meetings and prayed through tears for the people of this congregation. I've sat in Pastor Greg's office and prayed for healing, for comfort, for brokenness. I've seen and I've felt the weight of those burdens. And I mention this only to implore you to pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders and pray for your pastors because those burdens that you experience are on our shoulders as well. We are to lead with sympathy. I, and with this elder board that I've been had the pleasure to serve on for the past three or four years, uh, and as I've been a pastor of this church for going on nine years now, I have seen the love that our leadership has for the people of this church, and many times that love is expressed as it was with Paul through tears. So to our church leaders, I urge you to continue in your sympathy for others. I would also encourage you that you would have fortitude in the face of foes. After the tears, Paul mentions with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. The church today is under many attacks. Some are obvious, some are more subtle. One of the responsibilities of church leaders is to recognize these attacks and be ready to defend God's people. 
Well, Paul will go into a little more detail about this later, but it's certainly worth mentioning more than once. Paul brought the gospel to Asia at the expense of his own life. He suffered many attacks from his own countrymen because they didn't like what he was teaching. Others might have softened their speech after their first beating or changed their tone or their message altogether. But Paul stood firm in his adherence to the gospel. And there are going to be church leaders today who will be faced with the same choice. Pray that the leaders of this church would stand with the same fortitude as Paul and so many others who would not compromise on the gospel. Which leads us to our next characteristic, that godly leaders must have a fidelity to the truth. After talking about how he had endured persecution, Paul reports how he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul continued to preach the same message he had always preached, regardless of how people felt about it. The last time I was able to stand in the pulpit, I preached from Matthew chapter 10, and I talked about how Christians are not to be afraid to speak the things of God before the world because the world needs to hear the truth. It does no good to water down the message or tell people only what they want to hear if they are never told the truth of the gospel. It seems like every day I read of a popular or prominent Christian figure, be it a pastor or a Christian musician, who softens their stance on things that the Bible calls sin out of fear of alienating part of their audience. I've heard pastors and teachers talk about not wanting to offend people or how they want to be loving to all so they won't call certain behavior sinful. It is never loving to affirm someone in their sin or in their unbelief. In an infamous interview in 2005, false teacher Joel Osteen went on the Larry King show and he was asked if only those who believed in Jesus Christ would go to heaven and he said, I don't know. The so-called pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, seen by millions on television, when asked about one of the most basic tenets of the faith, he said, I don't know. Because he did not want to offend those of other beliefs. Paul, because he had seen firsthand the result of God's grace, never shrank back from teaching it to others. And he always declared the whole counsel of God, as he says later in verse 27. So we must follow his example and remain faithful to the truth, taking every opportunity to proclaim it to those who need to hear it. And then next we must practice diligence in our duty. Never giving up the ministry to which we've been called. As Paul never shrank from his teaching, he comments about how he was testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Even after just talking about how he had experienced persecution at the hand of the Jews, Paul mentions how he faithfully and diligently continued to talk to them about the message of repentance. Ministry is hard, and there are going to be times when those who serve in ministry will feel like giving up. But I'm standing here echoing the words of Paul to all who profess Christ, because all Christians have some sort of ministry to which you have been called, 
Do not forsake what Christ has called you to. Remain faithful and do the work of the Lord with all diligence, even in the face of opposition. And not only the Jews, but Paul took his message to people that others might have been tempted to avoid because they might thought that they wouldn't listen anyway or it was out of their comfort zone. Paul did not discriminate against anyone when it came to preaching the gospel. He wasn't going to let cultural barriers or concerns for his own safety keep him from his ministry. He said as much in verses 22 through 24, if you want to look down there, where he talks about being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and continue preaching, not knowing what will happen to him, but knowing that it could cost him his life. And he says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understood the sacrifice that it took to be in the service of the Lord. He recounted this to the church at Philippi, saying, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3. Quoting Alexander Strauch again, Paul saw that the need to finish his God-appointed gospel mission far outweighed the value of his own life. Nothing was going to stop Paul from preaching his message. And the reason that Paul was able to be so bold and the last characteristic is that because he recognized the authority of Christ in his message. The message that he preached was not of himself. He was not trying to build his platform or his brand. He was pointing people to Jesus. Listen to the words, his words to the Galatians. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was not trying to puff himself up or make himself out to be a source of authority, but the calling that he received and the message that he preached came with, uh, with authority from Jesus Christ. So, leaders, I exhort you to follow Paul's example. And church, I implore you to hold your leaders accountable to this standard that Paul set. Expect these characteristics of your leaders. And again, get to know them so that you can better hold them accountable. And again, don't be one of those who sits back and says, it's the job of the pastors and the elders to come get to know me, so I'm just going to sit back and wait for you to come to me. Yes, we should be coming to you, but nowhere does it say that you have to wait. I mean, look at our church. I already told you, look around. This is not a small church. Now, yes, we have a small church feel to it at times, and that's one thing that I do appreciate about this church because I've grown up in small churches my whole life, and it does have that small church feel. But when you look at the number of people that we have in our membership and in our attendance every Sunday, you know that the average attendance of the churches in our country today, the average attendance is 60. We are way above average. It's a blessing to be sure. And that means our leaders need to be on their toes about getting to know the people of the church. But relationships are a two-way street. So let us all look for ways that we might, as Hebrews says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
But Paul has much more to say to these Ephesian elders. So as we continue, let us look at Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. Paul writes, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. After showing these men what it took to be a shepherd of God's people, he gives them some instructions on what their primary purpose is and the task that God has called them to. This is Paul's farewell discourse, so he's telling them what is to be expected of them once he is no longer there with them. So he tells them to keep a watchful eye. And the first thing that Paul says that these elders is to watch out for is for yourself. And what he means is that they need to pay attention, these leaders need to pay attention to their own sinful or their own spiritual condition. We've already talked about how good leaders lead by example. So if the leaders of a church are going to be instructing people on how they should conduct themselves as followers of Christ, then they ought to, as they say, practice what they preach. Again, it seems far too often that I look at the news or social media and read of a pastor or church leader who has disqualified themselves due to some sort of sinful misconduct. Whether it's a lack of discipline or a lack of accountability, there is a need for pastors, elders, and church leaders to equip themselves and safeguard themselves against attacks from Satan. Paul knew the importance of spiritual discipline. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27, he says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We must be leaders committed to God's word, following it in our own lives, if we expect to preach it in the pulpit, to teach it in the classroom, or to share it with our neighbors. Well, just as Paul was putting himself as an example to these Ephesian elders, so should we be putting ourselves as an example to others. Now, that is not to say that elders, pastors, and church leaders are perfect. Do not look to your pastors to, for perfection. Do not look to your elders on how to lead sinless lives. But you ought to be able to look to them to see examples of godly living, devotion to Scripture, the practice of repentance and extending grace. Derek Thomas writes in his commentary on Acts, It is the fact of ministry that the congregation over which we minister hardly ever rise to greater expressions of holiness than that which they see evidenced in the lives of those who oversee the ministry. The shape and contours of godliness will be drawn from the lives of the church's pastors. Moral and spiritual failure on the part of the leadership inevitably produce discouragement and a failure to continue in the lives of the people. Church leaders cannot be expected to care for the souls of others if they are not tending to their own souls. The Puritan Richard Baxter wrote in his book, The Reformed Pastor, 
Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. If church leaders are going to care for the flock, they must first care for themselves. But then Paul does exhort them to watch out for your flock. After telling them to pay attention to themselves, he says to pay attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, First of all, to the church, I would, it should be said that this does not remove the responsibility from yourself and put it all on the shoulders of your elders. Yes, church leaders will be held accountable for those whom they oversee, but each individual believer has a responsibility to live holy lives. All throughout Scripture we find exhortations and commands for God's people to walk in holiness and to live according to God's holy law. Christian, you are to honor Christ with your life because He purchased you with His. Having said that, we now look at what Paul was instructing the elders to do. They are to watch carefully over the people of God, those who have been entrusted into their care. In verse 28, Paul uses the word overseer. Or I should say Luke uses the word. It's Luke's Luke's writing of Paul's speech. But Luke uses the word overseer, which is translated from the Greek word episkopos. It's where we get our English word Episcopalian. And in other versions it's translated as bishop and is used interchangeably with the word elder. And when we dissect that Greek word episkopos, we find at it, we find at its root the word scope, which has to do with vision. And when you add that prefix epi to it, which is a preposition that means upon or over, so that's where we get the word to look over, to oversee, what it does is it intensifies the manner in which they look. It means the elders are to take close, careful, and intense looks at the people in their charge. God calls men to the position of pastor and elder to watch over His beloved people. If you're a parent, think of the first time that you left someone else in charge of your child whether it was hiring a babysitter or putting them in daycare, you didn't just hand them off to someone you didn't know with no instructions or no thought um, to what they might do or say to them. Or maybe you did, I don't know. If you did, then maybe I've got some parenting books and some scripture verses to give to you. But you probably did not do that. You didn't say just let them do whatever they want. No, you expected those who trusted to watch over them to keep them safe to make sure that they were fed properly until you came back to them. I hope you wouldn't hire a babysitter who never checks in on your child. And that is the same expectation of elders to watch over God's children, to feed them spiritually, to nurture and to care for them, and to protect them if necessary. Which leads us to Paul's next exhortation. Elders are expected to watch out for fierce wolves. Paul here reinforces the idea of the elder and pastor as a shepherd. And one of the primary jobs of a shepherd is to protect the sheep from predators such as wolves. 
In verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. First of all, Paul says he knows. Not that he thinks, or possibly, maybe. Paul said this was a certainty. He was, he was able to say this because he understood the reality of the world in which we live. As Alexander Strauch says, it, we are a world at war with its creator. Paul had experienced this kind of conflict, so he knew it would come for this church and that it would come for all churches, and its leaders must be prepared. Sometimes these wolves are easy to spot and the attacks are obvious. We know, the, we, we know that we need to protect our church and for our, this church, this congregation particularly, our school, from a government that is increasingly anti-God and anti-Bible wanting to indoctrinate children, our children, with all sorts of perversion. Those are the obvious attacks. Other times it might not seem so obvious, which is why Paul says in verse 30, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He is warning of the wolves who look like sheep, who talk like sheep, who act like sheep, but inside are seeking to devour and destroy. These wolves in sheep's clothing are those who would propagate such things as the prosperity gospel or the social gospel or the quote-unquote woke gospel or any other adjective that seeks to add or take away from the true gospel. These are so dangerous because they seem good on the outset. They talk about things like loving your neighbor, how God wants what is best for you, how God wants to bless you. And these things are not in themselves wrong, but when you, they replace the gospel or when they add to the gospel, they become heresy and blasphemy. Loving your neighbor is not the gospel. It's certainly an effect of the gospel change that occurs in a person's life. And yes, we should love our neighbor, but just loving your neighbor is not the gospel. Any teaching that says that there is something that you must do in order to be saved is a false gospel. Any teacher that disregards what the Bible says or says they have revelation from God that are not found in Scripture is a false teacher. And it is the responsibility of pastors and elders and church leaders to protect the church from those who would come or seek to come and destroy the church. It's why we should warn to stay away from certain teachers like Joel Osteen, Beth Moore, Sarah Young, Stephen Furtick, and I could, we could be here for several hours if we wanted to list all the false teachers that are prominent today. It's why as I, as I pray over what songs that we sing in our worship service each week, I will not choose songs from Bethel Church, Hillsong, or Elevation Church, because these are churches that have abandoned the true gospel and I do not want to affirm these ministries or support them in any way by singing the songs that they produce. Now for some that may seem like such a benign thing to worry about, but it is that sort of tolerance that allows wolves to sneak into the sheep pen. 
that allows false teachers a platform and can corrupt the church and lead them astray. This warning that Paul would leave for the Ephesian elders would be seen again in his letters to Timothy. And we can see it in the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. That the church at Ephesus had forsaken its first love or its love for Christ, its first love. This is an ongoing challenge for the church and to its leaders to be on guard against attacks from the enemy. That is why it is so important for church leaders to be devoted to the scriptures and to the true gospel so that they can recognize when false gospels arise and try to infiltrate the church. To be able to admonish those who might have fallen captive to false teachings. This is a heavy responsibility that the elders and the the leaders of the church have been given to safeguard the people of God and to uphold the right teaching of his word. The church leaders are not here to protect traditions, to protect methods, but to keep watch over people's souls. Hebrews 13, verse 7, in an exhortation to the people, the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, while that, that, that statement is directed to the church to submit to the leaders, there are some sobering words for any pastor, any church elder. There are eternal souls at stake for which we will be held accountable for what we have done to provide spiritual nourishment and to protect from attacks from both without and within the church. This calls for discernment, it calls for alertness, and it calls for hearts that are caring and compassionate toward the people of God, which is our final section. As we look at Acts 20, verses 31 through 38. Paul continues saying, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how to himself said, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. In this final exhortation to the Ephesian elders, Paul continues his plea for them to be focused on the people of the church. And this time he demonstrated it in the way they care for their physical needs and thinking of others' needs above their own. He implores them again to follow his example of not getting caught up in the pursuit of wealth, but rather to give to those who are in greater need. And so this others-focused mentality is important for several reasons. First of all, is that it delivers us from ourselves. Meaning, it keeps us from a temptation to selfishness. And this applies to material wealth, 
but also to other forms of immaterial gains. For some, there may be the temptation to be ministered to rather than put forth the energy to minister to someone else. For some, there may be the temptation to serve only for the praise that it brings rather than to meet someone's need. Paul reminds the elders at Ephesus of the words of Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Whether that's of time, money, or of yourself, there are more blessings to be found when we give. And then when we have a selfless attitude, it secondly unites us to each other. We can see this in the way that Paul was embraced by these men and how there was great emotion as Paul was getting ready to leave. Paul had given so much of himself. And you can see the gratitude from these church leaders. These are the bonds of Christian love. This is the relationship that should exist between the church and its leadership. Such tender love and compassion for the people. And we see the tears knowing that Paul is leaving. Now let me be clear about this. No pastor, no elder, no church leader is irreplaceable. We can all be replaced by someone who can do the job better. But I was thinking of this as I was reading that passage, something that my dad had said to me about being in ministry. He said, you never want to leave a church with people thinking, I'm sure glad he's gone. I can only hope to have such a tearful goodbye as we see Paul get here in Acts 20. But that comes from having a heart of compassion and caring for the people. That is, and that is what uh, type of leaders a church should have. It is the model that all aspiring leaders should strive for. And by having this sort of compassion and caring attitude to the people you are serving, it brings us all closer to God. Back in verse 32, as he begins this wrap-up section, Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And then he finished his speech by kneeling with them in prayer. The ultimate goal of any ministry is to lead people to faith in Christ and to help them grow in their relationship with him. Paul demonstrates that here, as well as having lived it out with them for three years while he was in Ephesus. As pastors, elders, and church leaders, it is not our responsibility to stand above and instruct others in how they should follow Jesus, but to rub elbows, to walk the path together, to lead by example as we all desire to mature in faith in Christ. As under-shepherds, under the great shepherd, it is our calling to guide the sheep, to walk with the sheep, and as my fellow elder Kirk Sundahl would say, to smell like the sheep. That's how you can tell a good shepherd is that he smells like the sheep. That means we're on this journey together. And when we serve together and we encourage one another as we bear one another's burdens and as we stir one another up to love and good works, we find ourselves looking more like our heavenly shepherd. That is the charge that, I, that is given to the leaders of the church. And nestled within that is the charge for the church to pray for its leaders, to hold your leaders accountable. Leaders, follow the example that Paul left. 
to be devoted to God and to the scriptures, to serve with humility, to have sympathy, fortitude, and fidelity to the truth, and seek to protect the flock. And church, as you submit to your God-ordained leaders, pray for them fervently as ones who will be held accountable for their service. May we all grow together and strive to look more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is with a humble heart that I ask for your hand upon this church. Lord, upon your children that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would give us the will to serve you and walk in holiness, that we might please you and bring you glory. Lord, I lift up the leaders of this church that you would guard their hearts, their minds, and their walk, that they might be fixed upon you and growing through your word, that they might in turn be able to lead your church well. We pray, Lord, for your protection from the wolves of this world. Lord, may this church be known for its steadfastness and resolve to follow your word and to teach it faithfully. We offer up our lives, Lord, as living sacrifices to you to serve you, to honor you, and to give you and you alone the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We could stand and sing our final song, Christ, our hope in life and death. Amen.